0: to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. What up, what up, what up? Pastor Cole and Anna Burks, y'all stand to your feet. Y'all come up here. Hates this kind of stuff, which makes us want to do it even more. First lady, where are you going? The first lady. First thing I'm going to do, because I'll forget if I don't. Look at all this stuff. Look at this. Now you only get to pick one, and I keep the rest. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. This is from everybody. So we appreciate you guys that have uh, given to this, and this is for you guys to enjoy. There's all kinds of different stuff in there. I have a little bit of envy, but it's okay. It's okay. Um, Before I speak to them, I want to speak to everybody that serves as a pastor here. Uh, We have great great pastors across the board. Emily, our kids pastors, the whole team. It's phenomenal. It's Appreciation Month for you guys as well. So God is... I mean, they said everything really that there is to be said. But I want you to understand that God, God knows everything that we don't know. And a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, we were in Hamilton, Alabama, and Cole and I really we had more of a Facebook friendship. Um, honestly, I mean, I, I knew him from a distance. He he was friends with my friends, but we didn't hang out or anything like that. But we had communication through Facebook back in Hamilton, and. He just called me one day, and he was like, hey, can we can we get together and talk? And we'd never done anything like that, and we meet, and lo and behold, he's asking my opinion about moving here, which I think is very interesting, because at this point, I wasn't even thinking about leaving Hamilton. So he comes to me and asks me about coming here, what I thought about it, and... Uh, I had the honor and privilege just to just kind of give him my opinion, which was, yes, you'd be a perfect fit for that. Um, so he comes here, and then probably a year later, God calls us here. And God does nothing by accident. And I just want you to understand that them moving here has been such a blessing to individuals yes. in this church and the church, right? But if he never stepped into this role, he was already, she was already having massive impact across the board, right? These are the type of people. They have lives that you can follow. Get over it. Get over it. Get used to it. It's honor, brother. It's honor, and you deserve it and so does she. They have the type of lives that you can follow. And you know, I I've said many times that I'm honored To be in this place. I'm honored that God prepared them for us. So, so, so interesting the way he's laid this out. And who would have thought that this is what we'd be doing a year ago? Not them, I can promise you. (laughs) But he prepared him. He prepared him. Today in Huddle, he spoke something that I actually spoke to her before Huddle even started. And I said this the day that we made the transition and he became the lead pastor here. I told the first lady, I like calling her that. (laughs) I told her that they were made for such a time as this. And then he spoke it actually uh, in our huddle. And I mean that. They were made for this. They were made for this. And I'm just honored. I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to serve with you and serve with the team. It is Appreciation Month And we appreciate what you've done for us. We appreciate the fact that you stepped in. Understand this. If God doesn't call this man here, I don't even know if this church would still be existing. Think about that. We serve a God that is just unbelievable. And so are you guys. We love you guys. Appreciate you. Y'all can be seated. Thank you, guys. So it's always neat, I told Cole sitting over there, and for the worship, the worship team, if you think about, especially the first couple songs you sang, and then even what he said in offering, it's almost like, I don't even need to be up here, because they literally sung things that basically is my sermon. It's just amazing, talking about moving mountains and authority. Today, those are some of the things that I want to talk about. Today I want to talk about roadblocks. To things like authority, influence, uh, maturity, and your inheritance. So we're going we're to jump right into Scripture. Um, we're going to go into Romans 8, verses 12 through 14, Romans 8, 12 through 14, then we're going to jump down to 17 through 19, and uh, this is in a Passion Translation, and if you didn't know it, Romans is the greatest book of the Bible, and Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible, and if you have a problem with that, you take it up with God. It's just a fact. So Romans 8, 12 is where we're going to start. And they should have it up on the screen behind us. So then, beloved ones, the flesh has no claims on us at all. And we have no further obligation to live in obedience to it. For when you live controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. What that means is it's leading to dying, withering, and decaying. But if the life of the spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, we then taste his abundant life. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the spirit. Translations usually say being led by the spirit right there. So that was 14, we're gonna jump down to 17. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that He is and all that He has. That's a big statement. We will experience being co-glorified with Him provided that we accept His sufferings as our own. I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. And verse 19 makes me want to run around the room. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. So God gives us gifts. We all understand that. Salvation, love, mercy, acceptance, inheritances, gifts of the Spirit. And those things are not contingent on how awesome you are or how awesome you're not. They're gifts, right? But sometimes in the kingdom, we tend to think that everything works that way, and it doesn't. We seem to get confused in gifts and governing. Salvation and sonship, they are gifts, right? They're gifts we receive. But maturity leads to authority and abundant life. That's a process that we must follow. That process is simple. It's called death to self. John Bevere said that spiritual maturity is tied to obedience and not to time. What he means there is it's not tied to the age of a man, it's tied to the surrender of a man. That's what maturity is. Older age does not mean maturity at all. Now, God will let us through the door of salvation. We become sons, but He's not going to just hand you the kings, keys of the kingdom if you're not ready to handle that responsibility. Maturity in an area must come before authority in that same area. It's it's the reason you don't hand your keys over to your 10-year-old son. If you think about it, you got a son, you love him, he's 10 years old, he's your heir, he's gonna be the rightful driver of your vehicle one day. You want him to have that level of freedom and responsibility, but at 10 years old, he, he's not ready. He can't access That inheritance yet. It's not that you don't love him. It's not that he's not worthy. It's just that he's not ready for it yet. God often will not hand us the things sometimes that we want or even that is promised to us in his word because we're just not ready yet. He wants to give us abundance, but abundance requires stewardship. He's not, we say this all the time, he's not placing his precious resources in a bag. With a hole in it. If you don't believe that, go look at scripture where it talks about new wine and old wineskins. He's not about that. Now remember, it's not a matter of love. It's not a matter of your sonship. We're not talking about that. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of stewardship. It's a matter of maturity. He wants to give you dominion, authority, influence. He wants to give you all those things. But should he? So today I'm going to talk about three roadblocks, three roadblocks to these things, authority, maturity, inheritances, abundant life. We're going to talk about three roadblocks. The first roadblock is a lack of understanding what you are called to become, not what you are. If you're born again, you are a son, you are a daughter, right? They can't take that away from you. And that sounds pretty good because Jesus did that for us. Jesus handed us that gift. But what are you called to become? That's the question. You have to know that. If not, it's a roadblock. God created man in all of creation with two things in mind, love and dominion, love and dominion. God basically wanted to share his nature, which is love, with someone outside of the beings of the Trinity. He wants to share that love with someone. So he creates man, he hands him a planet, and he hands them the the, the authority and the stewardship over that planet. You were created to be in covenant fellowship with him for the purpose of giving and receiving love as sons and daughters to carry his image into the earth. We all know that. It might make you uncomfortable, but you were called to love and to rule. But you can't rule God's way unless you love God's way. And that's where we always get it twisted, right? You can't rule God's way unless you love God's way. And we were spiritually born to have authority right? Through selflessness, selfless love. But we're naturally born with this flesh that is ate up with selfishness. It's fun times for everybody. So as the sons and daughters of God, we've been created to have these things like dominion and abundant life. So why don't we see more of that? I think one of the big reasons why we don't see that. Is we don't realize we are called to become something. We are called to become not just a son, but a fully matured son or daughter of God. And in scripture, there is a huge difference. You don't get saved and hop out of the womb into the kingdom fully matured. That's not the way it works naturally or spiritually. So we talked about Romans 8 19. It says, The creation is waiting for the sons or children of God to be revealed. The Greek word used for sons there in Romans 19 and 17 can be described in the following ways. That word for son means sharing the same nature as the father. It emphasizes the likeness of the believer to the heavenly father, and listen to this, resembling the father's character more and more over time. It highlights the legal rights to the father's inheritance As the believer lives in conformity with the father's nature but here's the definition I want you to focus on the word son there in that passage refers to the rightful heir who reveres God as father and whose character God has shaped through love discipline and pruning the mature son whose life and character resembles Christ is governed by the Spirit of God that is what is meant by maturity So the creation is waiting for the mature sons. You're called to become mature sons, mature daughters. It's waiting for us to be revealed because in us, we reveal Jesus in mass. And that's the difference maker, right? He was the firstborn among many brethren. And that's what we're called to do. We are to replicate Jesus in the earth. Jesus was God's perfect mature son. So to walk in a Jesus level of authority, which we should aspire to do, we also have to aspire to walk in a Jesus level of maturity yes. through f- the fruit of com- communion with the spirit. But remember, it took Jesus 30 years, 30 years, the son of God, 30 years walking on the planet before he was revealed yes. to the earth. So it's okay. It's okay to be born into the kingdom. It's okay to be a spiritual newborn. It's just not okay to stay there. So if you don't understand and believe that God desires for us and he destined us to become mature sons that carry his image, then your authority, your purpose, and even maybe your inheritance, it's going to evade you. You have to understand this principle. So roadblock number one is you don't understand that you're called to be more than a son. You're called to be a mature son. The next roadblock is, is a subject that, oddly enough, has kind of become taboo to the church. And rightfully so, because we've wielded it as a weapon. Um, we, we avoid it completely because we're scared of being called religious or Pharisees. And that roadblock that I'm talking about is sin. <gasps> He said sin. <laughs> sin is a major roadblock to what I'm talking about today. And if you haven't noticed, it's just as so big a problem as it has always been, even though we don't talk about it. The, the mantras of our time are, you do you. Um, you follow your own path. You follow your heart. Or as one of the old school songs used to say, do what you like. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Um, here, here's the problem with all that nonsense for the mature believer. The blood of Jesus washes away sin and it gives grace, right? But what it doesn't do is wash away responsibility and give excuses. That's not what it was there for. There are still biblical standards. There are still kingdom expectations. Jesus didn't come on the scene to lower the standard. He actually raised it. That's a different sermon. We could talk about adultery and what he did there and what he said about that he raises the standard that's what jesus does everywhere he goes so let's go back to our scripture for just a second verse 13 says for when you live controlled by the flesh you are dying you are withering you are decaying but if the life of the spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh we then taste his abundant life if then if we do this, then he does that, right? It's contingent on what we're doing. And if you look at scripture, when you read scripture, I challenge you to read it with that lens, the if then lens, because there's so much of it in scripture. And it, the ifs and thens of God have a huge effect on the favor that we walk in, the authority that we walk in. So my point about sin is simple. It's it keeps you from walking in your destiny. If you flippantly continue to walk in a sin that you know you shouldn't be walking in, or if you never really fellowship with the Father and you're not in prayer and you're not in a word, you're gonna have sins in your life that you don't even understand are holding you back, right? That's why devotion is so important. You can't be handed certain things because you're either gonna waste them, you're gonna hurt yourself, or you're gonna hurt others with them. Now, he will withhold some things from us if we're walking in sin, but what he will not withhold from you is his presence. And that's the difference, right? That's how I feel comfortable up here talking about sin. And, and I'm not putting condemnation on you at all because the old church would say he's far from you and he's not, he will not withhold himself he will not withhold his presence from you just because you're walking in some things that you haven't been able to walk out of yet. When you sin, God is not far from you. I've heard sin defined this way and described this way my whole life. Sin separates you from God. With the, with they're, they're implying that he is the one who He separates himself. The level of stupid in that statement is mind-blowing. Damon Thompson kind of describes it like this. The first man, Adam, commits the greatest sin you could possibly imagine that causes the, di- the downfall of all of the cosmos. It doesn't get any bigger than that. And so, what God does is he runs off in a room somewhere scared. No, that's not what he does. What God does is he reaches out to Adam. Adam, where are you? Here's a news flash. God knew where he was. He's talking to him. He's saying, don't run and hide. I'm here for you. And think about the magnitude of what Adam just did, but that didn't matter to God because Adam's a son. And he's calling out and he's reaching to him and he's speaking to him because that's what he does. He not only reaches out to him, he helps him. He helps Eve by covering their shame in that moment. So he's not far from you, right? But pay attention to this. There were consequences to their actions. So here's a newsflash. Sin still leads to death. It's still destructive, but it does not cause God to run and hide from you. He doesn't build the wall. We build the wall. We hide. We choose to stay away from him. God's not scared of your dirt. He'll get in your mess. He welcomes you in the midst of darkness because he has the light needed to overcome it. I said this before and I mean it. The answer to sin is not focusing on the sin. It's focusing on the son. So I'm not going to sit here and talk about 50 different ways that we're in sin and glorify sin. But I do want to talk about a couple maybe more nuanced ways that we can be in sin or lesser known areas that we may be missing the mark in. Um, Most of you know if you're dealing with some common sin in your life. So let's talk about some other things that kind of lay on the outside of that. So the moment that we're doing things that he personally told us to refrain from, I'm talking about stuff just between you and God, right? Like in that moment earlier in worship where she kind of shut things down and we're having those moments with God. Sometimes those moments look like, hey, you need to stop that, right? When he does that, we have to understand that that thing may not be a sin unto itself, But in the moment, it's a sin to you because he's telling you to stop. And it's as simple as that. Most of the time in those moments, he's trying to reveal something like an idol in our life or maybe pride. And we react like this, but Lord, that's not a sin. Let me go to the Bible because I know I can't find that as a sin in the Bible. And all he's saying is, no, I'm telling you to stop because his ways are higher than our ways. The act may be fine for some, but for you in this moment, it's a no-no, right? We don't like that. (laughs) We don't like that. The next thing is, there are things that may be okay for you in private, but in the moment, you can't do them in public, especially around people that you have influence with. The more mature we become, which means being led by the Spirit, bearing the image of Christ, the more we can gain freedom to potentially do things that we couldn't do before. That's Scripture. That's Scripture. But the Bible is also clear that you cannot flaunt that freedom around others that it may become a potential stumbling block for. Jesus said this, and I never thought about this till I was preparing the sermon. I, I, I thought of the Scripture and... It kind of struck me. Jesus said, it's better for a millstone to be around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And we always think about children. But what if it's beyond that? What if it applies to those believers who might be newly saved or they're immature in their faith? And what if our actions that we can handle cause them to stumble? I'm convinced that the freedom that so many Christians flaunt these days has more to do with the spirit of pride and the spirit of rebellion and the spirit of a lack of self-control and mainly the desire to fit in with the world than it does with being free. If your freedom looks like bondage to somebody else, you better make sure that freedom comes with a healthy dose of wisdom. So a couple more points um, and we'll, we'll move on our our sinfulness is often based around what we feed ourselves you hunger and your appetite is built off what you're already consuming there was this guy named Casey Doss one time and he said <laughs> he said you can't entertain the devil and resist him at the same time that's pretty strong he's he's kind of sharp um then I saw, this, I saw this quote this week, actually. It says, Satan, like a good fisherman, baits the hook according to the appetites of the fish. So if your appetite is mainly for the things of the spirit, it makes it much harder for Satan to bait the hook. I'm convinced that the main bait that he uses always has something to do with selfishness. Now imagine for a second as a believer if you walked in complete Selflessness, what would that look like? Being selfless in love with Christ, with the people around you, what effect would that have for your life? I think selflessness, I have to say it real slow because selfishness and selflessness, tongue twister, right? So, selflessness, what would it look like? It would look like this love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It would look like what Galatians calls the fruits of the spirit. Now I like that list and I love the fact that it starts with love and it ends with self-control. Think about that. Why? Because those bookends are needed to do everything in the middle. Love and self-control are absolutely needed for joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. Love and self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Selfishness is a work of the flesh. Without love and self-control, we are not mature enough to handle what he has for us. But authority over kingdom things require us to be able to govern self. Self-governance is absolutely needed if he's going to hand us what he wants to hand us. Now, we all have areas where we lack self-control. Those areas in your life might be spiritual. They might be practical. They may or may not lead to sin. But here's the key with things about self-control. They may not lead to sin, but they're not going to lead to abundance. They're not going to lead to authority, right? So your emotions, can you control those or do they control you? your ego, your pride. Here's my favorite, because I'm horrible at it, your tongue. Can you control your tongue? That one leaves a mark. Do you have self-control with your money, your time, your appetites, including food? I know, I know. It's what I'm here for, I'm bringing the pain. Do you have enough self-control To be trusted with kingdom things, kingdom principles, and kingdom people. God loves you, but He's not stupid. God's a father, but He's not an enabler. That's not what He does, right? He's a father and He gives you gifts. But he works within a system. We all work within a system of sowing and reaping. You sow spiritual seeds by engaging in the things of the spirit, and then they grow into this mature fruit that we're looking for. And then that mature fruit is what you use to feed yourself and to feed others out of your abundance, right? Babies only consume. Mature sons, they consume, but they also are constantly using that fruit to feed others, which is what you were talking about today. Your abundance is what some, it fills somebody else's need. So we're trading the works of the flesh for the fruits of the spirit. And that gives us the right to self-governance and self-governing or being able to control self is absolutely a necessity. If you want to become a mature son of God. All right. So quick review. First two roadblocks. Number one, not understanding that you're called to become more than a son you're called to become a mature son a kingdom newborn is not an option if you want the full inheritance and authority that he's come to give you number two roadblock not understanding that we're called to be dead to sin because to be able to govern kingdom things we have to be able to govern ourselves all right so the pain's gone pain's gone We'll move on to number three. Number three roadblock is not understanding that you're called to a life of surrender. We spoke about that in worship too. She kept talking about surrender. It's interesting that if you look at the kingdom and then you look at the world, how diametrically opposed things are. In the worldly system, you gain control through making others surrender. In the kingdom, you gain self-control by fully surrendering to something greater than self. In the kingdom, power and control are found in submission to the king. That's not the way it works in the world. In the kingdom, surrender leads to promotion, not destruction. In the kingdom, you win the war when you surrender. In the kingdom, crosses come before thrones. A.W. Tozer said, the Lord can't fully bless a man until he fully conquers a man. I saw this quote. We repent enough to be forgiven, but do we surrender enough to be changed? In Mark 8, Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. For whoever wants to save his own life will lose it, but whoever is willing to lose his life for the sake of me and for the sake of the gospel will save it. In a time of me, 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 it's all about me, that is about the most anti-me statement that you could possibly imagine. The word life in that scripture that you are either gonna lose or you're gonna gain, it's the Greek word that really means the soul. And this, when I read this, it blew me away. It's defined as the seat or throne of your feelings, desires, affections, and preferences. So Jesus says this. Here comes some more pain. Surrender the throne of your feelings, desires, affections, and preferences for the sake of me and for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel. And I will return to you abundant life filled with kingdom feelings, kingdom desires, kingdom affections, and kingdom preferences. Thrones and abundant life come after the cross of self-denial and surrender. That's the only way it works in the kingdom. So the work of Christ and the cross, as I said, it, it leads us to be sons, but only surrender through intimacy will lead us to the authority that we need. Authority and abundance is found in him. We have to be walking in him to get those things. And it's kind of hard to be in something that you're never near So you have to draw near to him. You have to surrender in intimacy to him. And then you're going to end up with something growing. That fruit is going to be growing in your belly. To get to a deeper union with him, there has to be a greater yielding to him. That's not an option. You have to let him have his way in your life. And that will lead to a union that has no option but to bear fruit. That's what surrender leads to is fruit because intimacy leads to fruit birthed after its own kind. The problem that most people have is they sleep with the enemy and then they're shocked that they wake up pregnant, right? They're they're shocked that they wake up and they have chaos in their life. If you're intimate with darkness, you're going to produce darkness. It's just the way it happens. The only thing that unlocks authority is maturity. The only thing that unlocks maturity is intimacy. You're always going to be required to go to deeper levels of surrender if you want more authority. We get mad at God because he doesn't fix it. He doesn't do what we want. And he's looking at you saying, I called you to fix it. I called you to speak to the mountain." Right? We don't understand that he's calling us to govern. I created you to fix it. Intimacy and surrender can lead us to all the things that we want that creates breakthrough for ourselves and for others. What if God is saying, do you understand that you're barely surviving things that I've called you to govern? Wow. We have things in our life that we plead to him about, and he's like, you're supposed to be governing that, Right? but it takes intimacy to get there. You are an heir of authority. You're an heir of abundant life, but you won't get to that type of breakthrough until you step into some maturity. So here's the takeaway today. We're called to become mature sons and daughters of the king who are dead to sin. We're dead to selfishness. We live a life of surrender and devotion to Jesus. That's the if, The then is, then this life of surrender begins to unlock access to all the things that he died for. Right? Someone can come up and get on the keys. So you might be asking yourself, what does surrender look like? This is what a total heartfelt surrender should look like, ideally. We've all kind of been to this point, right? you come to a point in your life where you make this huge initial decision to surrender everything to him. We've all been there at an altar somewhere. I'm giving you everything, right? I'm giving you my whole life. And then that leads to small daily areas where we have to yield to him. You give up yourself, you give up your power, you give up your control. You give that to him daily. What he wants takes precedence over what you want. You deny selfishness and you embrace selflessness. But that's ideally, right? That's typically not the way it always works because surrenders don't lead to perfection. Surrender is just a decision, right? But it's more of a position. It's a position of the heart. Surrender is a heart posture that we must fight to stay in until we're fully conquered by his love and who he is, right? That's what we're, if you strive for anything, strive to surrender, strive to keep that heart posture. Cause there's gonna be times, there's gonna be lots of times where you don't do what he wants you to do. And it's key that you don't run from him and you don't run from church in those times. It's essential. So ideally, we make this big decision of surrender that leads to daily small decisions and we just continue with that heart posture regardless of circumstance, but rarely is life ideal. We all have times where we need to realign our heart posture through surrender. If y'all stand to your feet. So as we close, I, I want to just take a couple minutes And I want you just to ask the Father. Ask the Father if there's any areas in your life where surrender is necessary. And I know Emily earlier, she took a moment. This is the same type of moment. And the funny thing about earlier is there are probably some of you in the room that were feeling resistant. You were feeling resistant. You didn't know how to, or you you were feeling something in your belly, but you didn't know how to step into what she was saying i think that this moment was created after that moment for a reason in this moment i want you to literally ask the father you may not have talked to him all, all week you may not have talked to him in a month i want you to ask him is there any area where i need to surrender something is there any area where my mindset is off and i need to change my mindset that's what repentance actually is first it's a changing of the mind Is there any area of sin in my life that I need help overcoming? These things can be simple for some. It may be something simple. Maybe he just asks you for more of your time. He just wants you to surrender more of your time. Maybe he asks you to surrender your Wednesday night and come to prayer. Maybe he's asking you to surrender a certain relationship or a certain influence that's in your life. Maybe he's asking you to surrender that fear of man that keeps you from lifting your hands or dancing or maybe showing your friends that song that you wrote in worship, right? Surrender the fear of man to him if that's what he's telling you, but you're only gonna know if you ask him. I'm asking you to ask him. And I purposely didn't ask for the whole band to come up because this is gonna be a quiet time of just a few minutes with just you and God humbling your heart Engaging your father with a question. What do you want me to do? What do I need to do to take that next step to be free of sin or full of love or full of selflessness? Just ask him. Quiet yourself, quiet your flesh and ask him and he will speak to you. And whatever he says, do it. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.